So let's go on to your next patient, the 83-year-old woman. I always like hearing about patients in their 80s because we get so many questions from oncologists about this. 80 is the new 70 now, Neil. So I initially saw this woman. She was 80 years of age. She began to have symptoms about two or three months prior to seeing me. This is going back approximately two and a half years. She had developed a rather productive cough and shortness of breath. She had a chest X-ray done, which then led to a CAT scan. The CAT scan showed a mass-like consolidation of the right middle lobe with multiple diffuse pulmonary nodules, a right pleural effusion, as well as sclerotic bony lesions to C7 and T5. I sent her for evaluation to a pulmonologist, and fortunately when he saw her, he found a new left cervical lymph node. So instead of bronchoscopy, he only performed a lymph node biopsy of her cervical lymph node. Her pathology came back as a metastatic adenocarcinoma. It was TTF1 positive. We had a long discussion when seeing her, and fortunately, she does not have a lot of other medical issues. In addition, she has a tremendous amount of social support. For every one of her visits now for two and a half years, she's come in with her husband and with her daughter, and she's actually done quite well. With my initial evaluation of her, she was in pretty good shape for someone 80 years of age, though the shortness of breath and the cough had really taken their toll on her. I had a long discussion with her about what types of options are available for her. She had no interest in chemotherapy. So we then decided that we would start her on Tarsiva. She had never had a cigarette in her whole life, and I thought that this was a reasonable option at the time. Again, having read the data from MD Anderson, I started her on Avastin with the Tarsiva, and she did develop a grade 1 or grade 2 rash, and she came for follow-up today. She is one of those patients that you hope for, in that she had a very, very robust response to her therapy. Within about three months of starting on the Tarsiva and the Avastin, she had a PET scan that showed complete remission of her disease. She has stayed that way now for about two and a half years. The only real difference is most recently the sclerotic lesions in her back have gotten a little more hypermetabolic on her PET scan. She has gotten some external beam radiation locally there, more as prophylaxis than anything else, but she continues to do wonderfully. From your point of view, Ed, how do you find her tolerating the therapy, and what do you think about her images? Well, she's definitely someone who knows what she wants and knows what she doesn't want. She is having, so far, a nice response to therapy, and Again, as you consider her age and her ability to tolerate things, she looked very good in clinic today. Ironically, she complained of some fatigue, and it seems like it's because she's not sleeping well. And she's not sleeping well because she's up either with the sensation to have to go pee or has to go pee. She adamantly refuses to see her gynecologist or a urologist and does not want to start any type of pill because she, quote-unquote, does not like pills and refuses to take them to help her with this condition. So Jeff and her had a large conversation centering around, you know, she's already taking a pill to help her cancer. It's okay to take a pill to help you with urination and control thereof as well. Why do you think she's having this problem, Jeff? 
I think she's having some bladder spasm issues at night. It bothers her all the time. And this is really the big issue with her quality of life right now. It's nothing else. And she actually was very reluctant to even talk about it. She does not complain about anything. But fortunately, her husband and her daughter were there to voice their concerns. She, again, didn't even complain that she was fatigued. Her husband says, oh, she's more tired than usual. But she's up in the bathroom every 15 minutes all night long. So it took the better part of our visit today to convince her to go on a bladder antispasm agent to see if it would help her. And Dr. Kim is right. She refuses to see any other doctors right now. She says this is enough for her. She has lung cancer. She's taking her pill. She's 83 years old. And that's oncology, medical oncology. Yeah. And again, I guess the same caveats about the issue of using bevacizumab along with erlotinib, Ed, in this situation. But here now, this patient's having a great response. And if she does, I guess, predictably, unless some other problem comes along, develop progression, would it be worth even considering sending her to a place that can do not just EGFR mutations, but you know, there's these other, I think it's called TSP90 or something. I know there's other markers looking for resistance to EGFR. What do we know about those patients? Well, we do know that people, when they stay on any drug, can develop acquired resistance or inherently have resistance. She clearly has sensitivity to both of these drugs, or at least she does to erlotinib, Tarsiva at this point. And I'm of an attitude where, you know, you ride the pony as long as you can ride it, and you don't do anything to get off the horse. And so when the horse stops running, then you got to find something else to get it motivated. And you know, again, she's an older person. Nobody is really sure how to treat an 80-year-old with non-small cell lung cancer. She had no complaints about the Tarsiva today or the Avastin. She has some very, very mild red spots on her nose, and that's it, and she couldn't care less about those. You know, I think we can always try to do research. As you know, we're doing the battle trial right now, and we are trying to look at markers and see what characteristics of tumors may in fact lead to sensitivity or resistance to certain drugs. And Neil, I'll tell you as an update, we're going to finish the battle trial this summer. So it'll be a huge accomplishment in less than three years, enrolling 200 plus patients, all with biopsies in second line or beyond. So we're very proud of that effort, but it's always a possibility. This woman, I can tell you, would never accept going someplace to have someone do a biopsy on her to put her on an experimental drug. She would not want to do it. She trusts Jeff immensely. Jeff is looking at the data carefully and is giving her the risks and benefits of these things. And I would just leave her alone right now. We've been chatting about the battle study for a long time. That's a fantastic accomplishment and you know, a real translational study. I mean, you see those kinds of things in breast cancer a lot, but very, very little in lung cancer. I know you've told me in the past about that study that, generally speaking, had a great response from patients that they liked being involved because I guess it kind of made sense to them. They do like it. And, you know, what we hope happens with this study, I mean, obviously, if we found a marker that showed sensitivity to serafinib, then we'll all be up in Stockholm receiving the Nobel, but it's probably not going to happen. But what it does change is the mindset of how we can conduct studies. And in fact, this type of platform should tell 
everybody that research can be done in patients who are more than willing, wanting to participate, that they will accept biopsies. We don't have to go dig through the archived FNAs. And you can even hear in Jeff's voice when he has FNAs done, how frustrating that is to him that he can't do anything with it. And that's exactly the way we feel as well. What would you be thinking, Jeff, if and when this lady would develop disease progression? Be a very tough call on her. Obviously, what my first feeling would be that I would love to send her for evaluation looking at another EGFR inhibitor. But as Dr. Kim alluded to, that's not something she would consider. She does have a non-squamous carcinoma. I could perhaps talk her into Olympta as a single agent, which would be, you know, reasonable for her. But even that, she may just say, hey, you know, it's okay. I got three years out of this, and that's okay with me. So it'll be an interesting conversation if and when it happens. I'm still hoping for a significantly longer progression, free survival with her. Well, you know, they talk about a functional cure, which is that you prevent the disease from taking somebody's life or even causing morbidity long enough that they can die of something else. And I guess the older a patient is, the more likely it is that you might achieve that. Most definitely. Although it's kind of a weird thought to think about (laughs) in a sense. But I guess when you look back almost three years now, when she looks back, I imagine you wouldn't necessarily have predicted that this would have happened, that she would have done so well. Definitely not. Not with starting with multiple bony lesions and the significant primary and a small effusion. Neil, I tell all my patients my job is to get them to their heart attack. Right. So I guess just to kind of conclude, I'm curious about what this experience is like for both of you. I realize that this doesn't happen every day to have two docs together making rounds on one of their patients. What was it like for you, Ed? Well, it's interesting because at the academic centers, we have trainees, we have visiting professors, we have a lot of people who show up to your clinic, and you're held accountable for what you say, and a lot of these people know the data, and that's a little different than in private practice. You don't have someone looking over your shoulder and questioning things, and you can ask your partners things, or you can, you know, email one of us. I applaud Jeff. I think it takes guts to have someone, especially a specialist, you know, over his shoulder. Not Uh, to mention the entire country. (laughs) (laughs) And the entire country, exactly. Because he does all the tumors. And for him to have the depth of knowledge that he has in lung tumors is a testament. And that's good. And I, you know, I didn't have too many fundamental issues. I mean, when we go offline, I'll tell him what I really think. But no, um, no, I, I think everything was done appropriately. I think there's many ways to treat patients in lung cancer these days. And, you know, I think I've been pretty consistent over the years I've been doing tapes for you and different programs is that you have to know what the standard is. And once you know where the standard is, then you can make the best decisions for your patients. But the standard doesn't mean that we treat everybody the same. And I think from that aspect, it was interesting. I think many academic physicians really do not understand the different stressors and aspects that go into treating patients. And that's why drug costs come up. That's why insurance comes up. And we are insulated from a lot of that stuff. And and I like that. That's why I like to be in academia. I don't want to have to worry about whether I'm going to get reimbursed for a drug or not. I want to treat my patients however I want. But I think we can't ignore that side of it as well. What was it like for you, Jeff? 
Fantastic experience. Of course, you have to pick lung cancer when I've done all my CDs on breast cancer for you. And at least I felt like I could go toe-to-toe with a breast cancer specialist. I had a great time, and for more than one reason. Most importantly for me, when you're in private practice, you don't have someone looking over your shoulder. But that's not always a good thing, because sometimes you have to make decisions that affect people that day, the next day, or the following week. And there's really no expert there for you to discuss with and to bounce the opinion off of and to see whether you're crazy or you're actually onto something. So it was great to have Ed here and be able to go over all these cases. And I specifically looked at unusual cases that maybe I did stray a little from what, you know, has been considered a standard. But at the same time, I'm not particularly sure that we have a good standard. You know, we've done patterns of care studies in lung cancer to try to define how people take care of patients. We've compared it to investigators in terms of, quote, what state of the art is. But unfortunately, particularly with metastatic lung cancer, state-of-the-art, whether you're at the finest tertiary care center or not, doesn't have a very good outcome. So there really aren't any great answers. I guess there's a cost issue that has to be considered. But on the other hand, it's kind of hard to be critical when you have a really desperate situation. Yeah, I think you mentioned state-of-the-art, Neil, and you know, we like to think of that phrase as an adjective, and it actually more is a descriptive phrase. It's not an adjective. It basically just tells you medicine's an art, and we're giving you updates on what people are doing, but it doesn't mean it's the better way to do things. Right.